welcome to the Change Healthcare podcast series. I'm Jonathan Parks, Vice President of Business Development at Change Healthcare and your host for today's podcast. For our first time listeners, we've been completing a series of interviews with leaders across the industry to get their perspectives on industry topics. For today's podcast, our focus will be telehealth and how a national leader like Amwell is navigating the impact of COVID-19 to deliver high quality telehealth solutions to health systems, health plans, and employer groups. I will be joined by John Jesser, President of Clinical Solutions, Employer Solutions, and Live Health Online at Amwell. John will share insights on how Amwell and its clients have responded to the crisis, how regulatory and reimbursement changes have paved the way for greater adoption, what the business impacts of these changes are, and how they may, might evolve in a post-pandemic world. Hi, John. Thanks for joining the podcast today. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm happy to be here. Great. Before we get started, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your role, and your team's focus at AMWA? Sure. Uh, thank you. So my, just by background, um, I spent about 30 years in the health plan space um, and probably did just about every job there was other than um, not an underwriter and not a medical director. <laughs> but anyway, in doing that, I was really focused on how to make healthcare affordable and safe and and improve the consumer experience, which most people wouldn't think of health plans and improving the consumer experience historically as, as really a, a thing. But uh, as we all know, the, the, the whole movement towards the consumer uh, and, and health plans has been profound. So in doing that, I came across uh, Amwell back in 2010 and uh, started to see this concept of uh, the ability for a person to be at home and have a visit with a doctor and how kind of how well they thought through it all that you know it's not just like you walk into a doctor's office and grab them by the white coat and say look look in my throat so it had all these things clearly identifying the patient clearly identifying the doctor icd coding cpt coding it was you know and i had uh, spent a lot of t- time in health plan operations so this made so much sense long story short um I helped roll out uh, the Amwell platform at, at Anthem in the uh, in 2013, and from then up until about 2018, and then uh, made the move directly over to Amwell, where I can uh, help support and maintain the health plan uh, innovation, and uh, we're and, and also driving new clinical programs, which we can talk about. But um, my role there is is making sure that. Uh, the the brand that Anthem created, Live Health Online, is still working and viable and, and innovating, and also supporting uh, the other health plan part of the team, and then overseeing the clinical operations. We have a uh, uh, medical group that was created back then in 2013 called the Amwell Medical Group, which is uh, physicians, therapists, psychiatrists, uh, nutritionists across you know 50 states. And so managing those clinical operations as well is part of my focus. Well, without a doubt, John, we are in unprecedented times for the healthcare industry. The coronavirus pandemic has dramatically increased the awareness for telehealth, expanding and enhancing its presence throughout the industry, mostly driven by the need of virtual care due to social distancing, stay-at-home orders, and other factors related to COVID-19. You know, ultimately, access to in-person care has been extremely limited, and telehealth has moved from the periphery to the center of healthcare. Overall, how well do you think the telehealth industry was prepared for the coronavirus pandemic? 
I don't think anybody was prepared uh, to be fair and to be, you know, we have to be uh, candid, right? A pandemic is just not something uh, any of us that, you know, who've been around post-1918 would would be thinking to prepare for. Uh, We have seen, you know, through Amwell and health system clients, health plan clients, regular growth year over year, but you could take the curve from 2018 and put it over 2017 and over 2016, and there's a seasonality, you know, flu would start around September, October, uh, December, January would be the peak, and and I'm speaking about the the introduction of telehealth, which was predominantly urgent care, and then you'd see that drop off uh, around March. It It would slow down, and then, you know, June, July was a very quiet time. We knew that we saw year over year growth, but I remember in January, having conversations when someone would say, you know, when do you think people are going to really know that telehealth's there? You know, that they're carrying a medical group around in their pocket. Because uh, it was kind of a tree that fell in the woods. And if no one hears it fall, it doesn't exist. And in general, you know, across the country, I think 5 to 8% of the, of the people who had uh, telehealth available to them were actually users. And so we all knew there would be a day it would happen, but we didn't know when. And, and I remember having that conversation in January. Well, sure enough, you know, the week of uh, St. Patrick's Day was sort of the when when it all hit. Um, wait times went, you know, north of an hour. Uh, with some, you know, telehealth vendors, wait times were being measured in days. <clears throat> we had 25 people deep in waiting rooms to see providers. So the, the pace came out of the tube for sure. Everybody, you know, as you all know, moved to, to work from home within a couple of weeks. An amazing thing. I often wonder, how would this have all happened uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, with dial-up, slow internet, or, you know, different things, if, if we didn't have the digital capabilities that exist? But I think the industry, uh, some were better prepared than others, um, but I think everybody was out buying servers and piling them on and accelerating things to the cloud and from a technical standpoint you know the 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 platforms were were you know red hot they were glowing from the volume never had there been that many live video interactions going on at the same time each day would break the record from the day before uh so and and even and then the health systems and and the health plans the, the the ability of that they had to promote and make people aware of this all of it was uh, not well tested for that kind of volume. It was an interesting time for many, John, and with listeners on the line representing different stakeholders within the industry, I'd like to get your insight on how telehealth leaders like Amwell are working collaboratively with health systems that we talked about, employer groups, and health plans to provide quality virtual care. You talked about the initial kind of response. Can you talk about how you're working collaboratively with, with hospitals and health systems to offer telehealth as an entry point to their organization and where you may see opportunities to make telehealth a seamless omni-channel experience for the patient. Okay, sure. So why a little bit of wisdom and, and, and a little bit of luck, but we began working in earnest with health systems at Amwell uh, about five or six years ago. And this was because health systems were part of value-based uh, um, arrangements. They were you know, wanting to be accountable care organizations and they knew that they, they really needed to start looking at and, and 
poking around in telehealth. And some were just dabbling. Others were going all in. You know, the former CEO of the Cleveland Clinic, Toby Cosgrove, made a quote that's now, you know, come to be. And he said uh, half of all outpatient visits at the Cleveland Clinic will be at home by 2023. Uh, and I would say that they surpassed that in the past couple of months. Uh, something like 70% of all visits were at home. And this is uh, something that sounded, you know, he was trying to motivate his clinical staff and uh, to be a change agent. And that was a very bold and, and, and a quote that I'm sure many doctors kind of brushed off like, yeah, right. Well, this, this whole uh, COVID-19 pandemic uh, just accelerated everything, as we said. So we were deep working with health systems and the health systems actually it became a very big part of uh, of the Amwell company, uh, both both revenue and customer base. And what we realized was the, the the right answer is a platform that transcends the ecosystem that's used by health systems, by providers, and by health plans, because uh, this is where consumers and patients and providers meet. This is where they interact. And so we had a bunch of different modules which we do, and they continue to. To, to be added to, you know, on a monthly basis, but modules for health systems. So the obvious things like stroke care and surgery follow-up, those were, those were a lot of, there were a lot of clinical modules, but now, you know, every department in these health systems is saying, we need this. We need, we need telehealth now. We can't get people to come in. They're concerned about getting infected. We have no revenue. We need to find ways to treat patients. And so many of uh, quickly resorted to some things like Zoom and Skype and you know some other tools, even WebEx or, or Web, yeah, WebEx. But the, the work we've done on integrating with Cerner, uh, integrating with Epic and, and Allscripts and some of the other uh, tools out there, and offering that um, that sort of thoughtful clinical uh, telehealth integration is is uh, that's been been booming uh, during the. Uh, peak of the coronavirus, we were getting health systems that might have had maybe 20 doctors, you know, dabbling, uh, sending us files of uh, 500 doctors a night or 1,500 doctors in some cases to be loaded on the platform because they needed them all to be able to use the platform and, and, and to get online and get their patients there. So realizing that telehealth 101, which was kind of, I've got a, you know, I need a Z-pack or, uh, you know, I've got pink eye. My child is pink eye. The urgent care model was the entree. But what we've learned, what people have come to appreciate now during COVID was, is, is that there are just so many applications, whether it's following patients in a skilled nursing facility, um, just about anything where you don't have to physically interact with the patient. You know, cancer follow-ups. Why would we make cancer patients uh, leave their home, go to a parking garage, and come in for some of the, the types of things that don't really need hands on the patient. So I think the whole American healthcare, or the, I should say the global healthcare delivery system, is now rethinking that. I think the consumer uh, who was pushed to work from home and had things come up that needed treated, and not just COVID symptoms, but you know the rash, the lower back pain, the, the day-to-day things started to expect to be able to be seen at home and they will continue. You know, once this thing, once there's a vaccine and we're not uh, so obsessed about just the coronavirus, I 
think the new norm will be that you and I, the consumer, when we don't feel well or we need to interact with a doctor or our health system, will kind of expect the first option to be, I, I don't need to drive and park. I can, can't, can't you do this uh, with me at home or even at work in between meetings for that matter? The technology's there, the clinical guidelines and the, and the quality of care is there. It can be done. It can be done safely in the hands of, uh, of good doctors who, who understand how to use it. So I think the world is going to be different and it won't be about telehealth. I don't think you'll have uh, podcasts and webinars about telehealth uh, a year from now. It'll just be healthcare as we've been saying now for several years and it'll just be another, another way of getting care. That's great, John, and, and I agree with you. This is going to show the potential of opening up additional use cases across the industry and within the healthcare system. So what about employer groups? Can you, can you talk about some of their concerns, maybe around employees returning to work, having on-site clinics with monitoring or testing in place? How is telehealth helping address some of the concerns from an employer group perspective? Well, first of all, the employer groups have been delighted to know that their employees that have access to platforms provided either by the health plan or sometimes by the employer directly that they've been, that their employees have been able to get care. Those that were forward thinking and those health plans that have created a benefit and have made these things available benefited because uh, suddenly they weren't scrambling trying to figure out how to do telehealth, how they could quickly message their, their employees and say, if you don't feel well, here's the first place you can go. And you know, the, the doctors, that uh, treat these patients for urgent care, you know, in the Amwell Medical Group, we spent a lot of time with CDC and with a bunch of other uh, external sources, making sure that the guidelines were constantly up to date. I think we're on our eighth uh, revision of the, of the clinical guideline for treating COVID symptoms, but patients were able to be assessed if they had symptoms and were, you know, not otherwise at risk. There really isn't treatment. It was a matter of getting them good guidance on how to stay home and isolate and to, and to t treat the symptoms. If they uh, were at risk or had people in their household at risk, get, getting them in and getting them tested um, by, we, we had a white, we have a white glove service where you're reaching out to the ER locally, making sure the ER can take them and knows they're coming and, and doing those handoffs. So they benefited from that. Now the whole return to work thing gets interesting uh, because, you know, many of the health plans stepped forward and, and offered zero copay for for people during this time and did uh, you know did some fantastic things to make access to care easier and that's to be applauded now the question is if an employer wants everybody's temperature taken before they come in and if anybody has fever they want them treated or tested this starts to cross that line between occupational medicine things that, that typically aren't the health plan's responsibility it might be more the employer's occupational medicine responsibility, kind of like the days when you know you needed certain shots to travel abroad to do to do work in certain countries. Those those weren't typically medical expenses, so it's opening up an interesting dialogue. Uh, I mean, who who should pay for testing when everybody wants to test, even though clinically a certain you know a pretty good part of the population doesn't necessarily need a test. But if they need a test to go into the workplace, or they need a test, uh, repeated testing to go into the workplace and to keep going into the workplace, you know, how does that work? I'm not in the health plan business directly anymore, but I know we're, we're in, in those, in that dialogue.
Well, that's great, John. It sounds like both health systems and employer groups have had a pretty good transition experience in providing telehealth to their patients. So within your background of being part of a large payer uh, operation as well, can you provide our listeners with a view on health plans and how telehealth before the coronavirus pandemic was looked at? And then, of course, how they are adapting today to have this offering? Sure. Beforehand, it was, um, you know, for some, it was a check the box on the RFP. We need to, we need to have some sort of telehealth or this employer is asking for it. Uh, you know, the, the, the ASO groups wanted some were innovating using it with Medicaid, Medicare, uh, others weren't. So it was sort of, you know, dependent on the health plan. Uh, without getting into specific names and examples, some some embraced it and led. Others, you know, have other strategies that they're focused on, and and so it wasn't a priority. But when this hit in March, uh, those that are our clients uh, were, you know, on the phone with us every day. Uh, how do we get these wait times down? We want to spread the word more. We're going to zero copay. Can you handle the volume? By the way, I will tell you that the, the uh, nice part of the story is we're down to three to six minute uh, average wait time. So everybody is, um, we, we quickly responded and recruited, we credentialed a couple thousand doctors between March 1st and the uh, end of April. Uh, and the health plans were very helpful. Some would say, hey, we, we can help you reach out to doctors uh, that we know, including some of their medical directors. Um, Everybody wanted to help, and it was it was a very good thing. But I think that the dialogue has changed. And so, and, and everything affects everything in healthcare, right? So, one of the reasons that health systems and doctors hadn't embraced and uh, really adopted a lot of telehealth in, in their practice was because it wasn't always reimbursed. Um, there was a perverse incentive to make a mom bring her child in even though the, pedi- the pediatrician could have treated it over the phone uh, because they don't get paid for that. And, you know, for years, doctors have said, why don't you pay me for phone calls? I, I get a lot done on the phone. I, I have to make these people come in. And as a health plan, uh, rightly so, we said, you know, we don't know what happens on the phone. Was it a uh, five-minute visit? Was it a 30-minute visit? Is there a medical record? Was Is there an ICD code? You know, did you write a prescription? Is there a record of that? But historically, a lot of that phone call stuff, um, it was just too loose for health plans to say, yes, sure, you tell me that you talk to the patient and we'll pay you. But now with, you know, for example, the MWELL platform, there's a CPT code, an ICD-10 code, there's a SureScripts prescribing, a medical record. It, when I, that's, that's what I saw when I first met the company was this is really thought out and everything that happens in an office is happening here except for touching the patient. So in this environment, health plans were waking up, uh, those that were not awake during the COVID crisis and saying, we should, uh, we're going to have to reimburse for this. And then there's, you know, the eternal debate, do we reimburse the whole amount because there's not office overhead? Um, and, or do we partially? And, and that, you know, I've been on both ends of that conversation. It's, it's a healthy discussion. But at the end of the day, people want to be treated at home. They don't want to come in. And there's an awful lot of doctors can do. They can order labs. They can really do what they can do a 99213, an office visit, and even some, some complex care management. They can manage chronic patients through telehealth. 
um, with the good with good tools. And so I think that cracked the door open because of the crisis. A lot of health plans when they met with Vice President Pence, they agreed to pay for the telehealth visits and, and, and to at least encourage it. Suddenly, providers said, "Okay, we better get on board here. We better figure out how to do this." And now that Medicare, you know, the other big part of the healthcare uh, healthcare spend, the biggest payer of all is is our government. So now that the federal government has liberated some of the uh, requirements, it, I mean, it's kind of sad. Historically, health plans have followed Medicare uh, when it comes to how to pay doctors and all these things. But this is the telehealth the first time where being under 65 has been an advantage because you have access to telehealth. And if you have traditional Medicare, you don't. Uh, but that's changing. They've um, tried to expand and, and open that up. And the question, people, the things people are watching to see, will that be retracted? Will it continue? But that affects a lot of providers' decisions on whether to change their practice and to modernize it and to say that we saw you today, we need to see you next week, but you don't need to come in. We'll schedule this from home. And the health plans, I think, are getting this and, uh, and they're embracing it. I think that would be the question to many uh, of the listeners on the line is, do you feel that regulatory and reimbursement relaxations will remain in place post-outbreak? So think of a health plan for a minute. They're not really that concerned about traditional Medicare. They have the ability already with Medicare Advantage to build telehealth benefits in. Uh, they have the ability with their Medicaid plans in most states, and they have complete ability to do what they want on their commercial plans. So I think the health plans are now pretty much universally um, modernized. I think their concern, and it's a legitimate concern, is I don't want to drive up utilization and pay for additional care that didn't need to happen. You know, we conducted a study uh, through Health Corps uh, based on the live health online data back in 2015, looked at over a year's worth of data, and the study was published. Telehealth did not add a layer of care. Um, actually, the, the follow-up after telehealth visits was no different in rate than it was after a doctor's office or urgent care visit. So a lot of these sort of initial fears about driving up costs uh, are not really, they're not legitimate, but you always have to be careful um, as a health plan that you're not opening up the ATM machine for people to start trying to generate new revenue in ways that don't add value. And that's uh, prudent. Um, so making sure that their network providers are paid fairly for the visits, that there's not a perverse incentive to use telehealth, that the doctors and the medical groups have to use a legitimate platform that's HIPAA compliant, that is auditable, so they can do what they can do today with the brick-and-mortar visits. Was it really a level three office visit? And, you know, proper coding, those things will apply to telehealth that, that apply to brick-and-mortar. And I think that's all being worked through pretty quickly. And uh, for the most part, it's all good for patients and for providers, actually. And for health plan, because the ability for the patient to get access to care on their own terms and quickly, especially with some affordable option that the health plan is supporting, has really uh, been one of the great ways to reduce wasted spend. People that had no other choice, 
it was Saturday morning or or Friday evening, and they went to the ER, and um, that wasn't the best place for them to be. So, so kind of expanding on that, John, when talking about adding additional value for health plans, what would be your guidance to provide to health plans that are looking to adopt a telehealth offering today? My high-level guidance would be be not afraid. Be not afraid. I remember, you know, when attorneys were saying, well, I'm not sure you should email contracts. We don't know if it's secure. We, we, should, we should fax them instead. I mean, when you think about these things in hindsight, that's how new technology is always uh, treated though and it also sometimes creates don't don't so be not afraid and also don't create a higher standard than you have today so ncqa credentialing is is good for the doctors in the office that should be the same for telehealth well how do we know that the visits are quality visits should we record them or listen to them do you go into the offices today and record or listen how do you know what's happening in the exam room so just, just challenging ourselves to sort of check ourselves on that, trying to raise the bar because it's new, and uh, to look at this as an empowering way to say, wow, how can we deliver clinical programs? You know, what my team and I are working on are uh, programs for diabetes, for behavioral health, uh, for musculoskeletal, where people can, uh, for sleep, people don't have to venture out and spend time and inconveniently leave work for half a day or other things for some of these clinical programs to help improve their health and, and to drive overall medical spend down. So health plans should actually be open and think about how can we innovate. Speaking of innovation, John, how are you guys looking at organizations like a change healthcare to really help in your efforts of providing the best virtual care possible to the industry. What technology or needs, you know, around EDI connectivity or interoperability or data sharing, payments? I mean, how can how can organizations like us help you? Well, you you guys are the backbone that should make it be uh actually if you're successful, you want to be uh not seen or not heard. You know what I mean? You want to be invisible. But the ability for someone to get on uh, with their health plan ID on a platform and have it check eligibility in real time, know who they are, know what their cost share should be, uh, automatically enable our platform to collect the right copay or cost share, and have the claim then submitted from our platform electronically, you know, through HIPAA transactions in the background. Uh, basically, We've taken the front office of a doctor's office and we've made it completely electronic and, and, and digital. And to the consumer, that's going to be the way they want everything to work. Know who I am, know my health plan, know how much I owe, charge me my amount, and then take care of the rest with my health plan. And I don't really want to hear about it. And that's how that's how it should work. That's how it works where, where our platforms are enabled with change. And that's doing the... The dirty work, I guess you'd say, in the background without making anybody have to worry about it anymore. If that's not the case, then it, then things can get clunky. Um, so hopefully that helps. It's great insight, John. And, and to really kind of close out uh, our conversation today, I'd really like to get your insight on how you see the future of telehealth improving and expanding beyond its current catalog of services, let it be technical or legal limitations. You know, how does telehealth become 
the preferred mainstream channel for consumers to go to for routine primary care throughout the industry. It's going so for routine primary care. I'll, I'll take your, just the last couple of words that you shared. Uh, the doctors need to be able to establish relationships with patients. We don't necessarily need a telehealth call center or a medical group sponsored by the telehealth company to become to in any way encroach on or, or get in the way. People need to see their own doctors. However, some some medical groups will adapt technology and will make themselves available and others won't. Uh, there's always a need for the Amwell medical group that we manage to be there. Sometimes good, hardworking doctors want to go to bed at night or they want to turn off their practice. So whether we're providing their coverage of uh, evenings, weekends, after hours, holidays, or whether there's certain pockets of the country where there just aren't doctors with telehealth enabled, having our medical group as the, the stopgap is, is always going to be a need. But in general, you and I are going to want our doctor to have the ability to see us at home or to see us at work or to otherwise make our lives more convenient. Those practices and health systems that do that will kind of rise above those don't. I look at it like the, um, you know, uh, Borders books and uh, Blockbuster video. Uh, I mean, I negotiated with health systems for many years, and I'd sit across the table from someone that always had the architect's rendering or the blueprint of the next physician office tower they were going to build, you know, sitting on their on the side table. Think, if you will, about building that next office tower in the cloud. And if a third of your outpatient care is moved to the cloud, you don't need to actually put shovel to dirt and build the parking garage in the new building. And those health systems and medical groups that think like that will have a lower cost structure than those that are still going to be building and making people drive and park. And it, it, will, it will do what retail has done. It will sort itself out. And it isn't anyone doing this to anyone. It's the consumer wanting what they want. And uh, I think telehealth will evolve to meet those needs. It'll, it'll be a part of all medical specialties. It'll be a part of chronic care. You'll have devices in the home that speak to it and, and inform. And the other thing is, don't just think of the smartphone or the tablet or the computer as the access point. You know, senior citizens, we're working with this technology today, will be able to sit down at their TV and the TV will ask them if they um, want to be able to speak to their care manager about their diabetes or, or they'll have an appointment at one o'clock in the afternoon and their doctor from New York Presbyterian or the or Intermountain or the Cleveland Clinic will um, pop up on their TV set. They won't have to have a password and a login and a username. Um, these things will work themselves out and they'll be omni-channel and, and easy to use, uh, as easy as saying, hey, Google, I don't feel well. And having the intelligence behind there to know you have an Amwell platform, this is your payer, this is your copay, and would you like to speak to your doctor uh, uh, this afternoon at four where they have an opening, or uh, would you like to see somebody right now? Meeting the consumer where it's convenient. That's wonderful, John. And uh, we'd love to hear all the innovative stuff uh, that Amwell is doing. It's, it's clear that Amwell is demonstrating incredible leadership and support for customers, as well as providing valuable guidance 
for the industry during this unprecedented time. I want to thank you for your time today and also thank the AMWELL team working to ensure quality virtual care is delivered to the healthcare industry. Change Healthcare is proud to be a partner to your organization. Thanks, John. Thank you, Jonathan. Hope everybody has a safe and a great day. Thanks. And for our listeners, don't forget to check the show notes and links to resources for Change Healthcare and Amwell. Thanks for joining the Change Healthcare podcast series. You've been listening to the Change Healthcare podcast. For more information on this and other healthcare IT topics, please visit changehealthcare.com. Don't forget to check the show notes for useful links to related resources and our contact information. Thanks for listening and have a great day.